Have you ever read all that's in here? There's, I mean, there's some cool stuff like God is love. That's huge. Or love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, turn the other cheek type of stuff. Forgive your enemies, pray for your enemies. Like that's awesome. But then there's some like really different kind of stuff in here. Understandably causes some really big problems for people. Discovering the violence the Old Testament documents often keeps people from discovering the life Jesus offers. Welcome to Together for Salem. We're wearing the same sweatshirt. Podcasters. Podcasters. Sup. So, I'm Monica. This is Aaron. Welcome to our home. Welcome to episode 95. This is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Thank you for watching. We're almost done with our So What About series. So what about You Be My Valentine? Sounds great. This is John. He's going to talk about the age-old question yes. of the God of the Old Testament, the oh, God of the New yeah, Testament. Yeah, yeah. They almost seem like two. They're not, but it seems like sometimes. like reconciling that yeah so he does a good job fill out the welcome form if you're new mm -hmm. or email info at yourcrosscreek.com and we're gonna come back on the other side with just a couple brief things okay and the same sweatshirts oh hello there have you ever read all that's in here there's, I mean, there's some cool stuff like God is love. That's huge. Or love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, turn the other cheek type of stuff. Forgive your enemies, pray for your enemies. Like that's awesome. But then there's some like really different kind of stuff in here. Stuff like uh, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. It's stuff like that that understandably causes some really big problems for people. Discovering the violence the Old Testament documents often keeps people from discovering the life Jesus offers. Like, how can a, a loving, forgiving God condone and, and really even command horrible violence? Even what really seems like genocide. Like, that's a super fair question. And it's a question that I think really scares some people so much that they uh, choose to kind of ignore it and, and just move on and be like, well, that's a good story, uh, Jesus, right? Where others... You know, they may take it seriously, and which is good, but they can't reconcile the, the difference between what God seems to command in the Old Testament violence and then who Jesus showed God was. And so they basically reject the entire idea of, of God and Jesus. And I think both of those are pretty big mistakes. See, some things won't, we won't ever have a, a perfect answer for. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm about to offer a perfect answer for why there's Old Testament violence and, and why Jesus seems so different than that. But 
if we allow ourselves to, to ask difficult questions and, and, and explore the tensions that those questions create, I think we can discover a clearer picture of who God really is. See, if we ask the difficult questions about God, no matter how difficult they are, we step closer to discovering the truth about God. And here's what's cool. In God's love and mercy, he gives us plenty of time to do that exploration. And so right now, let's, let's take a bit of time and ask questions and explore. Come on, neighbor, we can do this together. And so stepping back and kind of looking at the bigger story, instead of just like picking little pieces that we, we don't like or do like, but stepping back and looking at the bigger story that is going on in the text here, I think can bring some real, some better clarity. And to do that, let's use that horrific Jericho story that for some reason there's kids songs about to help discover an incredibly important truth about God. So some context on that passage we just read of Jericho. 650 years before that all happened, God picked some guy kind of out of the blue, named Abram, renamed him Abraham, and he promised that he'd be a father of a great family, of a great, great nation, that through this nation, this family, God would bring the rescuer, the one that would finally do something about sin and evil and, and death even. And he said, Abraham, your descendants are going to inherit the land of Canaan, which we kind of the same area as Israel and Palestine now. And it was called the promised land, because it was promised by God to Abraham, right? But before that all happened, some other things needed to happen first. And so here's how, kind of how God put it. Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Well, that sounds like fun. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. And so, as God said would happen, Abraham's descendants, his family moves to Egypt, and they grow and get bigger and not the people, the actual family, gets bigger, and Pharaoh becomes scared, and he enslaves the Israelites for more than 300 years. And then, as we mostly know the story, God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites, right? Let my people go. And then God gave Moses laws that would then help them become not just a family, but an actual nation. And so after Moses died, God commanded Joshua, Moses' second-in-command, to now lead the new nation into the promised land, right? It's like, finally time, the promise is going to be fulfilled. Just one problem. The promised land was never, and at this moment, it wasn't empty. Like, it wasn't like they're just walking into this empty land, like, oh, good, now we get to set up a house and be happy. No, there were other civilizations there, other cultures that were busy growing and, and building cities and cultivating land and creating distinct cultures, their own cultures. And the Old Testament records, the Old Testament writings record that then God commands his new nation to go in and conquer and destroy these cultures. 
it seems so wrong, right? We get this this picture of genocide or even like the idea of what happened to, to the Native Americans in our country's history. But there's actually a little detail here in, in God's promise that we just read that maybe might help put things in perspective. He said, after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. Why? For the sins of the Amorites, the people that were living in Canaan, do not yet warrant their destruction. See, here's the thing. The cultures that were living in the promised land, they were anything but peace-loving utopias. History shows us that they had very little regard for, for human life, for, for human dignity. They, they practiced child sacrifice, incest, bestiality, uh, instant, institutionalized religious sexual abuse of women. Like These cultures were so evil that God decided that it was time to erase them completely. Now, I think an important point here that we kind of need to keep in mind is that the cultures were unredeemable. The cultures needed to be destroyed. There's no way to, to fix these cultures, not the people. See, the cult people were redeemable. The cultures, not so much. And so God said Israel needs to go into the land, not just to occupy it and live in that land, but cleanse it. In those towns that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, destroy every living thing. You must completely destroy the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. This will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. Oh, that's intense. Like, that's a lot. Like, destroy everything. Maybe that's hyperbole in Middle Eastern writing. There's some evidence for that, but still, like, people will die because of this. It's very, I think it's another very important point to look at is that this command that God's giving Israel is a command to a specific group of people at a specific time in history. And so this command to, to destroy your enemies and that type of stuff, it applies zero to anyone living today. So like to use this verse as to justify a holy war and that type of stuff it does not work. You're not an ancient Israelite bringing in the promised Messiah and that type of stuff. See, the new covenant that Jesus did bring in, that changed everything about how we relate with enemies. And there's, there's a lot there. We could do a whole series on that. So this new nation that Joshua's bringing into the promised land is fragile. It's just come out of hundreds of years immersed in the religion of Egypt. And so God took extreme measures to ensure that his new nation that was created to save humanity would be able to survive and, and stay religiously pure. It didn't always happen. So God used Israel to judge these cultures, to prepare the way for Israel to thrive. And so we could just say, you know, if... We could just kind of end it there, really, and say, if there is a God who is master of the universe and, and controls everything, then really he can do whatever he knows is best, and then that's what's best, right? Sure, and that might satisfy some people, and it seems to, if you look online for why there's violence in the Old Testament, but that doesn't really satisfy me, and I'm guessing it doesn't satisfy a lot of you either, that God can just do it, so there he did it. See, here's, because why? Because the cultures that God's destroying are, were created by and, and lived in by actual people. Like actual people were killed because of this. And so then we look at another detail. That phrase that we had in Genesis, that there, 
their evil had not uh, doesn't warrant them destruction yet, right? And other translations say their evil hasn't come to full measure. What that shows in Abraham's time, so 400 years beforehand, shows that God is giving these people time. He's giving them opportunity to change, saying they had not yet reached that level. God is waiting to judge them for their evil culture. But how would they know, right? How would they know they're sinning? How would they know that they're, they could be destroyed? God's, is God like up in heaven saying like, yeah, you guys, you know, you just get worse for 400 years. Then I have an excuse to destroy you and I'm really going to get you. And it's going to be a cool story that they'll make little kids songs about. But I'm not going to tell you that you're evil. I'm just going to make sure you get it in the end, right? That's not what's happening. See, God doesn't work that way throughout the biblical writings. We see this over and over. Before God judges any people or any culture, he warns them. We see it in the, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah with, with Abraham, where God's like, I'm going to go destroy these people because they're, they're so evil. And Abraham's like, well, what if I find, what if you find a hundred righteous people? Will you destroy it? And he's like, no, I won't. And Abraham keeps like working them down to 10. He says, God, will you destroy these cities if you find 10 righteous people? And God said, no, I won't. Unfortunately, he didn't. Uh, the, the story of Jonah, right? And the, and the big fish. You know why Jonah got swallowed by the big fish? Because God told him to go tell the Ninevites, which history shows us were just as evil as the Canaanites. Tells Jonah, hey, go tell them that I'm going to judge them if they don't repent. And Jonah's like, no, because I know that you'll forgive them if they do. And fish swallows them. He says, I'll go to Nineveh. He preaches against them. God's going to destroy you if you don't repent. They all repent. The king's like, hey, everybody's going to fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. And then God relents and Jonah gets all mad about it. We see it with Jesus when he warns uh, the Jews in Jerusalem. If you don't, if you don't change what you're doing and, and oppressing the poor, then somebody's going to come and destroy you, which happened in 70 AD. Even if you, depending how you read the book of Revelation, you see it's a long story of God giving people chance after chance after chance to change their mind and repent and come to him. So... The final judging of these cultures might seem cruel and unfair, but what it does show us, it shows us a main characteristic of God. Something that we see throughout the biblical writings, that God is slow to judge and quick to forgive. See, he gave them hundreds of years to change, but he would have forgiven them in a second if they asked for it. See, it's more than likely that somehow he warned these cultures. And we'll have a bit of proof in a second. And, but these people chose not to listen to the warnings. And so Joshua sends spies to investigate the first city they're going to come into uh, when they go into the promised land, Jericho. And so these spies go in and, and they stay in the city with a prostitute named Rahab. Why did they stay there? What are they doing there? It doesn't say. Anyway, the king finds out that they're, they're staying at Rahab's house. And he says, Rahab, bring out all these, bring out the spies because, you know, they're spying against us. And so she hides the spies on the roof and she's like, uh, yeah, they were here, but they went that way. Right. And so now this is where we ask questions because that seems weird, right? Why didn't Rahab just give up these guys? See, one of the most important questions we can ask of the biblical writings is why? And so we ask that here. Why would Rahab risk her life to save these spies that had come to conquer her people? And this is where things get interesting. See, the Old Testament writings usually give us like the bare minimum of the what that happened. And so we kind of have to slow down and dig and find the why of things. And here's the why of why Rahab protected those guys. 
Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Why does Rahab know so much? Because everyone in the town, in the city of Jericho, in the whole area, knew about this. Somehow the Canaanites had heard of God's promise to Abraham. And they had been warned in some way, whether God sent them a prophet or whatever, they had been warned in some way and they understood why the Israelites were there. They had heard of the miracles and the victories God had given them and they are terrified, Rahab says. And it seems God had given them a choice. Either repent from their evil culture or refuse to and resist God's nation that is now coming into the area. And Rahab chose to respond differently than the rest of her people. In fact, she's talked about in the New Testament writings. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, it points out that she made a different choice than the people in her city, the people of her culture. See, since God loves us, he lets us choose how we will respond to him. He always gives us a choice. Rahab chose to accept Israel's God as, as the one true God and chose to surrender. And then she asked for protection. She said, when you guys come in and when you conquer, she says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. And so the spies agree. And they tell her, hey, hang this scarlet rope outside your window. And so we'll know that it's your house. When we attack Jericho, we'll know not to attack that house. And they say, anyone who's in your house with that scarlet rope will be safe. And so she says, sounds good. Let's do this thing. The spies report back to Joshua. And now it's time for Israel to attack Jericho. But they don't just charge right in. They don't like send in like dead animals to, to poison their water or anything like that. See, check this out. God gave some very strange orders for the attack on Jericho. He tells them, all right, you guys are going to be busy for a week. For six days, Israel, I want you to march once around the walls of Jericho. Just march around, be very quiet, but march once around every day with all, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff and show them that you're there. But then on the seventh day, march seven times around the city and then blow your horns and shout really loud and watch what happens. Why does God tell them to do that? Like, why waste time? Why not do the element of surprise or, or just take them out? That's not normal ancient tribal warfare. It's super weird, actually. Some answers I've always heard were like, well, God did this to show the Israelites that it was God who brought the victory and that they shouldn't be confident in their own power so they don't get prideful and that type of stuff. Maybe, but there's, I feel like there's something more there, something that really better aligns with what we see about God's love and, and his mercy that we, we see in Jesus in, in the New Testament writings. And I think there is. See, check out again what, this, what the spies say. 
Uh, when we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your, all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out of the house, they might be killed. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. See, there's really no limit to how many people she could fit in the house with the red rope. See, the people inside Jericho's walls are people that God loved. We, we hear God's real heart in the New Testament writings where, where the writer says that he, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so God is giving these people more chances to surrender. Gives them a week to seven days of like, hey, we're here. This is going to happen. Seven days. And then look, if you were serious, we're going to march around seven times now, one last long day to surrender and, and, and repent. I think this story would be very, very different if maybe on the third day you start seeing red ropes drop over the wall. And, and on, the, on the sixth day, th there's red ropes. And then on the seventh day, there's like red ropes coming out of every window. I'm pretty sure this story would be completely different. See, every individual had an opportunity to change, to repent. They had plenty of time. Unfortunately, the people's fear of God kept them from knowing and enjoying the peace of God's love. Same for us. Our fear of God's judgment can keep us from enjoying the peace of God's love. And so on the seventh day, the, mar the army marches around seven times. They blow their horns, they shout, and the walls come tumbling down. And then chaos ensues, right? You're th I mean, this is like ancient Middle Eastern hand-to-hand -hand war. Street to street, house to house, horrible stuff. But in the middle of that chaos, the Israelites keep their promise to Rahab. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And then it says that they killed everyone and everything inside Jericho. Again, maybe that's hyperbole. Like when we say, you know, one team destroyed the others. That was very common in Middle East, ancient Middle Eastern writing, but still, people died. The town was destroyed, except for Rahab and her family. And I think that's still hard to stomach. I mean, these God commanding people to kill other people. It's hard to stomach. Now, if you, if, if you watched our last episode about hell and maybe you lean toward Christian universalism, that might make it a little bit better. These people aren't being sent to hell forever and ever. But still, God used his people to bring judgment to kill other people. And in that, I think we, we discover a hard truth that our choices have consequences. Our choices for good have consequences, but also our choices for bad have consequences. We can choose to run and hide and resist, or we can choose to accept God's mercy, his love, and his forgiveness. God hates sin and rebellion, not because it annoys him, but because it hurts the people he loves, which is all of us. So he hates sin and rebellion because it hurts us, but he loves, loves to forgive and restore us to a perfect relationship with him. See, the Canaanites' choice, Jericho's choice, resulted in them losing their lives when God really only wanted to end their evil culture. We look at Nineveh 
again. Like they would like skin people alive and stuff. But God forgave them because they chose to repent and change their minds. See, our choices make all the difference. Rahab's choice resulted in something something better than she could have ever imagined. See, Rahab chose to trust God and to repent and be like, no, my people have got it wrong and, and I want to change that for me and my family. And so she was taken out of that horrible culture, that horrible identity that she had labeled on her for what she had to do to survive. And she's taken to Israel. The Israelites take her in. She marries an Israelite named Solomon, who then they have a son named Boaz. Boaz marries a lady named Ruth. The Boaz and Ruth have a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, who becomes King David, like the, the greatest king of all of Israel, the, who gets this promise from God that someday his descendant will be on the throne of the world forever. And out of David, great, great, great grandson, comes Jesus, who was the promised one that was promised to Abraham all the way at the beginning. It was Jesus who's the one who, who died and rose again to conquer evil and sin and death and usher in the new covenant where there's no longer a tribe against tribe, but we all become one people to God. He's the one who brought eternal life simply by choosing to trust him, just like his great-great-great-great-grandmother trusted. See, because Rahab made the choice to trust, repent and trust, she became part of God's ultimate story, God's ultimate purpose for all of humanity. So here's, here's what the tension shows us about God. Here's the truth we see in, the, in this tension, that God hates and judges sin, but loves to forgive and rescue sinners. And so the real question isn't like, how does all this work and, and that type of so The real question is, what's your choice? We all have a choice. What's your choice? Whether you're a Jesus, call yourself a Jesus follower right now or, or not. See, will you let fear of judgment cause you to run away from God? Or will you allow his mercy, his love, his forgiveness to cause you to run to him? Will we allow questions about, about God's judgment of evil cultures in the Old Testament? Will you allow that to, to keep you from understanding and experiencing his love and his mercy for all people, the mercy he's longing to give you? See, just because we can't know every detail, every reason about how and why God used and condoned ancient tribal warfare and how that all worked, it doesn't mean we can't recognize his love, patience, and mercy toward us now. Like, think about it. Does this uncertainty about the Old Testament actually change the fact that Jesus died and rose again? Does it change the historical fact, the fact that we have eyewitness who said, who recorded Jesus saying, I'm going to die and rise again, and nobody believed him, and then they saw him die, and then they had breakfast with him three days later. Like, that doesn't change that historical fact, does it? Even if we can't understand all the questions we have. Rahab didn't understand everything about God's plan. She didn't know, like, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, all that stuff. She didn't understand any of it. But she chose to trust, and her life was changed forever, and she was rescued. And that same rescue, that same new life, is available to all of us. 
See, we won't always have all the answers, but we always have a choice whether or not we will trust God's love. And in any situation, we have that choice. Whether it's, you know, these theological musings about why God does stuff, whether it's gut-wrenching marriage issues, whether it's fear, whether it is sorrow that we can't even, like, think we'll survive, we have a choice to trust. And so my homework for you is this. This week, every day, it's not that long, read Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Read that. Understand that there's, he's not waiting to judge. He's waiting to forgive and embrace. And then ask this. Since God loves me, let's use the framework we started at the very beginning. Since God loves me, why do I choose to not trust him? Like, since God loves me, why am I running away? Why do I not choose to trust him? Ask that. See, we won't always know an answer to every why. There will always be a tension we feel between God's anger against sin and his unfailing infinite mercy, love, and forgiveness for sinners. But... We can choose to trust that even if we don't have an answer, there actually are answers that are steeped in God's perfect love. We might not always know it, but we know there is a reason. See, when we ask God why, we can choose to trust the answer is based on his love for us, even if we don't perfectly have that answer. When we ask why God, we know the answer always has within it, because I love you. it seems like the reading the same Bible verses with John's challenges mm -hmm. every day the same Bible verses might get old or you might not see different things but it is truly amazing when you spend time meditating on the same verses and then asking that question that John posed I think that's gonna be a great activity so I encourage you to try it if you've never tried it before try it mm -hmm. like try to do it like four or five days in a row Pick a time, pick a place, make it a habit. See what happens. Yeah, and if you have done it before and you know, maybe you didn't notice anything, maybe you will this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always like to have a cup of coffee or a treat with my time. It gives me something to look forward to. Yeah. Other than the time, but. Coffee for me. I just like coffee. Like first thing in the morning, so. Oh yeah. Wakey up. So we look forward to hearing about how that goes. And we look forward to talking about this in our Connect groups. That's right. So there are questions at the end of this video. There's also questions in the description or show notes. And a handy dandy printout if you're a printout kind of person. Hmm. Yeah, so that's cool. All right, we have just a few announcements. First of all, this is very important. It's Super Bowl. Oh, sorry. I know. It's the big game. We're going to get in trouble. Thank you. It's the big game this weekend. Yes. So we will not be gathering in person um, at Cross Creek, but we will be gathering in person on the 27th. So mark your calendars. It's going to be great. I'm going to actually share. I'm looking forward to that. A really quick, quick thing. 
and Monica likes to share and talk, so this is gonna be It will be awesome. quick. It will be quick. But on the 27th, mark your calendars, February 27th, fourth Sunday of the month. Yep. And then in March, we'll be back on our second, second fourth. fourth. Second, second fourth. Yeah. Second. You know what else Sunday is? Besides the big game. I'm stuck on the big game. There are some important birthdays this week, and I know they're gonna hate me for this, but John and Liz are both have their birthdays. Oh, I was gonna say Oregon. Oh, Oregon's birthday's on yeah. Valentine's Day, so it goes, but, yeah. Our, our pastor, John, his birthday's on this week, and then Liz's birthday's a couple days before. I won't say the dates. They're more important. They'll care more that we're celebrating their birthdays. So happy their birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, John and Liz. We love you. Streamers, balloons. Don't you love when I make you add more stuff? Yes, I work. love it. Yeah, great. All right, Confetti. so we wish you a merry, happy Horns. birthday. And the questions are coming up at the end. Yes. There's a gathering on the 27th. There's also youth gathering on the first and third Sundays. So check out that link in the description. All this is in the description for you. Sounds like y'all had fun last time. We did, we had a great time. And the last thing I'm gonna say is we're adopting Avamir. So we're bringing clothes on the 27th uh, for our friends at Avamir in Kaiser. So. Uh, pants, sweaters, tops for men and women. And there's information about that online too. What do you know? It's great. It's like there's information online for you. But is there information online? Can't say we didn't tell you. That's true. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening on the podcast. Like and subscribe. Mm -hmm. Then you'll get notifications when new episodes come up. Right on. Do you have anything to say? Just happy Valentine's Day. Sounds good. Here's some questions. Welcome to Tibet. Go outside and go funny.